The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You chose to take a journey down a long and dangerous trail Chose to serve your country and we know you served us well But now you're back and it's our duty to keep you safe and warm Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms We're America, your family, the land of liberty We're thankful for your sacrifice, your fight to keep us free We are America and we truly do believe You're the backbone of our nation, thanks to you we're living free we're a quilt of many colors, and we breathe red, white, and blue. We're America, your country, and America wants you. It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition. With Gary Ray, along with his co-host Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray with his co-host, Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts. Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is November 19th, 2013. I'm Gary Ray along with my co-host, Linda Crater, President and CEO for VeteranCaregiver.com. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good morning, Gary. I'm just fine, thank you. Good, good. You know, we have a really good show for you today, but before we get to our guest, we're going to just take a couple of minutes and provide everyone with a live Veteran Trek update. Today's update is brought to you by First Class Merchant Services and Brave Marketing Concepts. Just be sure to click on their logo on the sponsor page and see exactly how they're supporting our veterans. Veteran Trek, and just in case you're not aware of Veteran Trek, there are about two veterans Tom and Anthony, that are walking 2,700 miles from Milwaukee to L.A. for PTSD and Veteran Suicide Awareness and Awareness for DryHooch.com. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good. Good, good. How's the walk coming? Where are you? Uh, We are at the halfway point. We just got into Denver uh, yesterday, so we don't have to look at farm fields anymore. We have some mountains. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, huh? (laughs) Did you get your cold weather gear? We did. We did. We got the cold weather gear, and we got, we uh, actually had a, um, a family that kind of helped us out and uh, actually, you know, drove us um, uh, back to where we stopped walking the uh, the uh, next day so we didn't have to uh, kind of sit and uh, wait. So um, we actually made some progress instead of, of having to uh, sit and wait for the package. So it all it all worked out. Well, that's great. That's great. Any incidents along the way so far this week? Uh, yeah, we actually, um, yes, 
a couple of days ago, we actually stayed on a, uh, a, a cattle ranch, and uh, one of the things he, he the, uh, the farmer asked us to give him a hand uh, wrangling a injured bull. So uh, that was a, a first for Anthony and myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a pretty picture. I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, he asked us uh, if we wanted to stay on his ranch, but he had a, a couple things he needed to do. And uh, one of them was uh, getting a, a bull uh, into a, uh, a cattle trailer. So that's a, uh, a memorable moment for sure. <laughs> How's Anthony's shoes holding out? <laughs> good, good. We're actually going to go get some new shoes today. So <laughs> they made it this oh. far. All right. Are you running low on supplies at all? Uh, we are good right now. I think uh, we're going to take a day, a day here, and then we're going to start uh, moving out again tomorrow. All right, all right. And your next stop? Uh, we'll be heading south towards uh, Colorado Springs. All right, all right. Well, we just want to wish you guys luck. Um, and again, be sure to support these guys, okay? Just to pick up your cell phone, actually put in the word donate, and put 80464, and 100% of your donation goes to dryhooch.org. We'll be providing live updates on the adventures every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the American Heroes Network. We have quite a show for you today. So, Linda, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guests? I'd be delighted to introduce our guests. We will be covering an awful lot of ground today, so I'll tell you up front that this marvelous trio of women veterans will be back So we are going to touch on a number of topics and give you more information and dialogue to continue on some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that are now available for women in the military that either were previously unspoken uh, or simply not possible uh, based on the rules and regs of war. We first have Kayla Williams who is a former intelligence specialist and an Arabic linguist who was in the U.S. Army, deployed to Iraq during the initial invasion. She's written a book that I have read that I enjoyed immensely and learned so much called Love My Rifle More Than You. She is joined by Lindsay Sin, who is the Deputy Secretary of the Women's Veterans Affairs Group in California. And she will speak to sexual trauma, both male and female sexual trauma, in the military, rape and assault. Ellen Herring is with us, and she's the senior fellow with Women in International Security and is directing the Combat Integration Initiative. So today we will be talking about the, the challenges. We will be talking about military sexual trauma, which we prefer to just call rape and assault because it affects more than those in the military, as well as the new combat roles that have been cleared and what that means for the profession of being in the services. So welcome to Kayla, Lindsay, and to Ellen. Yes, welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're so welcome. Kayla, why don't you get us started on a little bit about your background of your book and what drove you to to write this book? Absolutely. I enlisted in the Army in 2000. Like many others, I was seeking a better life. I wanted money for college and a chance to learn new skills and get out of a rut that I was in. And by pure chance, needs of the Army, I was assigned Arabic as my language and was learning 
that language at the Defense Language Institute on September 11th. So it was immediately clear that my Mm -hmm. military career was going to be very different than it would have been otherwise. I was assigned to the 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault, and took part of the initial invasion of Iraq in 2003, spending about a year in the Middle East. When I came home, I found that a lot of people just had no idea what women were experiencing in today's military. I had some people ask me if I was allowed to carry a gun because I'm just a girl, but other people asked if I was in the infantry, which is still not authorized under um, current regulations, though, as we'll talk about later, there are a lot of changes coming on that front. And I also saw that the only women in the popular media the only women soldiers at that point in time were Jessica Lynch and Lindy England, neither of whom I thought really represented the women that I served with. They'd really been just chosen by the media and not even been allowed to be full and complete human beings. They were just caricatures of soldiers. So when I got the opportunity to write a book, a memoir about my own experiences in the military and deployed to Iraq, I jumped at the chance to add my voice and help people understand at least what I had experienced. And I've been thrilled to see in the years since then that more and more women's voices are being heard so that people can have a richer and more complete understanding of the diversity of women's experiences in these conflicts. You're absolutely right. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions that start just as you spoke about when you came back in 2003. After all of these years, what because we've been at war for 11 years now, What are some of the sweeping changes that you've seen or the misconceptions you would like to correct today as we're talking on the air? When I first came home in 2004, uh, there was just a tremendous amount of ignorance about what women were experiencing. But I also, at that point, still believed that there was resistance within the military to opening combat arms, jobs, and units to women. Uh, Many of the people that I had served with on the ground in Iraq I think we're becoming much more open to the idea, but there were still pockets of resistance, especially among the older generation. Uh, And getting to change that, I thought at the time, I genuinely believed would take decades. I did not think that it was going to happen quickly, but I've been thrilled to see that the changes have come much more quickly than I expected. People that serve men who served on the ground with women in Iraq and Afghanistan saw that we made a difference to their ability to complete their missions, saw that not only could we simply replace a man in a given unit, but in counterinsurgency operations in Muslim countries, women could play a very special role that men could not play. We could connect with half of the population that it might be very socially unacceptable for men to interact with. And when trying to win the hearts and minds, that's an incredibly important role. But when women were only attached and couldn't be assigned to combat arms units, that creates a lot of command and control problems. And as these combat arms leaders recognize this, I think it really did a lot to change their opinions about what women should be allowed to do and how they would best be able to accomplish the mission, which, of course, is our ultimate goal. You know, you seem uniquely qualified with your Arabic to break through some of those barriers because if you were the one connecting the dots between the Iraqi population and our army and our troops on the ground... Do you feel like your MOS gave you an advantage? Certainly. 
speaking Arabic gave me a tremendous advantage, but because my training technically was in signals intelligence, not human intelligence, uh, oh. I definitely had to scramble okay. a bit to pick up some of those skills and how to interact with people once we were actually on the ground. But looking back, it was definitely the most fulfilling thing I did in my entire military career. When we were in Baghdad, I was going out on combat foot patrols with the infantry, translating between them and the civilian people, and able to see the infantry doing their job and able to see the immediate results of my ability to speak Arabic. Uh, looking back, I think one of the other things that's perhaps most surprising is that uh, that was, in fact, the era of you go to war with the army you have. So I didn't have plates for my flak vest. They had not been issued to me because as a woman in uh, signals intelligence, there was the assumption that I wouldn't need them as much as, as somebody else. So out I went with, <laughs> with the equipment I had. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even consider that. So was that quickly rectified? Yes, it was eventually rectified. Uh, but we also, mo many of the vehicles in our unit still had the canvas doors on the Humvees. It was really very, and it was part of the initial invasion. So there were a lot of shortages that it took some time to rectify. <laughs> so as you wrote the book, were you surprised by what came forth? Um, writing the book wasn't really surprising, but the response that it, I got after it came out uh, was really heartening to me. I had women from previous conflicts approach me and say that they were relieved that they weren't crazy, seeing that somebody else felt the way they did made them feel much better. And also I got letters from infantrymen who said, thank you for writing your book. I have a hard time talking to my family about the war, but I can hand your book over to them and they get a better sense of what I experienced. And that was really gratifying to me. All right. We're going to take a real quick short break. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host Linda and our guests, Kayla, Ellen, and Lindsay. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. 
You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with Kaylee, uh, Ellen, and Lindsay. And uh, Kaylee, I have a quick question for you. How'd you come up with the name Love My Rifle More Than You? It's actually a line from a cadence that, uh, that I heard when I was in the military. One of my favorite cadences that many of your listeners may be familiar with. Uh, it has variations all over the country and through various eras as well. But sat me down in a barber chair, spun me around, I had no hair, used to drive a Cadillac, now I hump it on my back. Uh, Cindy, Cindy, Cindy Lou, love my rifle more than you. I used to date a beauty queen, but now I love my M16. all right that's phenomenal now i guess we're going to get into women in combat correct yeah so as i as i said when i came home i did not think that the military was ready for a change but as people served on the ground with women the institution itself started to realize that it was time for a change and i met ellen herring as part of the um, advocacy on the outside trying to push for increasing legal recognition for the changes that were already happening on the ground and uh, we've been very excited to see some of the tremendous progress that's been made since then. Ellen? Yes, um, well like Kayla said, I've been watching the work that women have been doing while they were serving. I'm an Army Reservist and I've been assigned to the Command and General Staff College, not deployed, but I was mobilized for three years and I'd been listening to the stories of women that were coming back, and um, I realized that basically we were violating the policies and, that we had in place. And it was no longer a law. It was just a policy, a DOD policy that kept women out of combat assignments. So as I watched and I was hoping that change would happen faster, um, the Congress was also watching these, what was occurring, and they had made two demands of the military, first in the 2009 NDAA and then in the 2011 NDAA requiring studies to expand opportunities for women in combat roles. Unfortunately, um, DOD decided not to accept the recommendations. Well, that's not quite true. They, they accepted them in a limited fashion, and in 2012, February of 2012, DOD changed the policy, the existing policy, and opened up about 14,000 new positions to women. But by that time, I had already um, begun working with uh, an advocacy group from the University of Virginia Law School headed by Professor Ann Coughlin, who was considering um, challenging the, po- the policy through legal means. And I was considering being a plaintiff in, the, in a case against the Department of Defense. And when the 2012, um, February 2012 policy was changed and opened 14,000 new positions, while it sounded like it was a great advance for women, it really, it was just really a marginal change. 
um, which allowed the co-location of women, which hadn't been occurring before, but not the opening of key positions. And it still left 230,000 positions closed to women. So I agreed to go forward as a plaintiff in the first lawsuit that challenged the combat exclusion policy. Now, you must have thought long and hard about that in terms of you, you were looking at people like Kayla who was successfully embedded and these initiatives were opened. Um, were you at all concerned that this would have a reflection on your own uh, profession or your, your trajectory within well, the military? Sure. Yeah, sure. I was actually, it took me a lot of soul searching. Um, Mm -hmm. My early background is that I went to West Point and I spent eight years, almost nine years on active duty. um, And then I've spent the rest of my time in the reserves. So this is an institution, DOD, the Army in particular, is an institution that I love. But I was concerned that we were moving forward just so slowly and incrementally and that I I felt like it just needed a push, a push beyond just what would happen over time. Um, So, yeah, it was very scary. In fact, I didn't even tell my husband I was doing it when I started talking to the lawyers because I was afraid that any kind of um, pushback from people I really cared about would tip me in the other direction and I just wouldn't have the guts to go forward with it. So I, I, I did it. Well, you sure did. And looking at what has occurred now, do you feel as though those efforts were A, instrumental, and B, did they go far enough? Um, I don't know. I think maybe the lawsuit, and mine, ours wasn't the first lawsuit. After we filed ours in May of 2012, then the ACLU came on board with a second lawsuit with four more plaintiffs. Um, and between those combined efforts, as well as the direction that the military was heading, I think those were just maybe a tipping point in what was going to happen eventually anyways. Um, so in February, while our lawsuits were still open and we were going back and forth with DOD in, in both cases, um, the Secretary of Defense decided he was going to eliminate the policy in its entirety. And he, he did that. Uh, and he gave the services three years to implement changes. And he specifically told the services, okay, the policy is gone. If you want to continue any kind of exclusion, you have until 23, or 2016 to tell us what those exclusions and why. And those exclusions have to, have to be very specific, very narrowly configured. And they must be um, pretty much defensible in a court of law. So I'm excited with the changes. We haven't seen exactly where it's going yet, um, but what I've seen so far looks very positive. And this is Kayla. I completely agree that the legal cases have been a key part of the progress that's been made. I think the same thing was true with Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal. Uh, for Don't Ask, Don't Tell Congress and then for women in combat arms, ground combat arms jobs and units, the Department of Defense, I think, saw very clearly that either they could get out in front on these issues and make changes on their timelines and have some control over it, or they risked having the courts tell them when and how they were going to make changes. And in that sense, I think they were just tremendously important in getting progress moving more quickly. You know, you you stated that so well, both of you. Are there challenges? Well, we know there are, but can you enunciate more on some of the challenges that are 
more or less unique to women or that disproportionately arise for women in the military? I think that most of the challenges that women face in the military uh, are those that we've already successfully navigated and that some people just don't seem to be aware of the fact that we've already (laughs) successfully navigated them. So, for example, I hear people bringing up these really silly things, like they say the hygiene issue. They never spell out what that means. They just say the hygiene issue, as if half of the world's population doesn't exist without indoor plumbing and women haven't climbed Mount Everest and, you know, accomplished all of these other things, uh, successfully navigating any hygiene questions that may come about. I mean, baby wipes work equally well on my son and my daughter, so don't see Mm -hmm. where that's a problem. And even things like being able to um, pee on long convoys, those problems have been solved. There's a a tool called the FUD, the female urinary device, that um, is available through the military supply chain to make it easier to handle those sorts of minor issues. And things like where are people going to sleep and how how are we going to manage these things? Well, look, we're already doing that in all of the clothes in all of the jobs that are already open to women, the units that are already open to women. So it's really going to be easy to expand and replicate those successes in jobs and units that are still closed. Now, I think it it can certainly be challenging to consider what are the physical requirements for particular jobs? What are they really? Not what do people just assume or guess they might be, but what actually are the physical requirements? Because certainly there are some women who won't be able to meet the physical requirements for being in the infantry, just as there are currently some men who cannot meet those physical requirements. And so the various services do have a challenge ahead of them in trying to validate the physical requirements for all of the currently closed jobs and then um, testing those uh, everybody who wants to be in those jobs, male and female alike, to be sure that they can meet the standards so that we can have the best qualified people in all positions that are available. I'd like to add that one challenge that women have that... Um is unique is that even if we establish the exact same standards, people still don't believe that women meet them oftentimes. Now, those that serve side by side uh, understand it and believe it, but I, I remember talking to a female fighter pilot not too long ago, and she said, you know, people keep saying that um, women can't do it. And she says, what can't I do? What haven't I done that's been identical to what you have done or others like you have done? So even when women do meet the exact same physical requirements, there are just naysayers out there that just don't believe that they actually have done it. So I think that's a challenge that um, women face and will continue to face until they've been fully in- integrated and for a long term. I think you're talking about a cultural shift. And, <laughs> and that is always a paradigm shift of such a massive organization is always going to take a longer time. And I I think, as you know, there's such history involved with war and duties that you're right. It's hard to to establish those things. As we focus in, um, what do you say to those who say we're using the military as a social experiment and therefore you put men and women together and bad things will happen? I mean, I find it a little laughable since men and women have been working together for (laughs) since the beginning of time. Um, uh, This this imaginary thought that somehow we haven't been working together is is just 
really blatantly absurd to me. Uh, the military is one area where that may not have been true in all jobs, but certainly in the past uh, decade plus of war, women have been attached, if not assigned, to many combat arms units to help them accomplish their mission. It's already happening. These changes just formalize the, uh, the, the ground reality that so many of us have already been living. Ellen? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to say that I think that comment is just a distraction. And when I hear that, I often want to say, our whole country has been a social experiment. (laughs) Amen. We were a social experiment at our conception. So why is changing and challenging um, social norms suddenly problematic when it includes opening opportunities for women? I would also add that the military was a leader on uh, integrating African Americans, and I think they can do just as good of a job with women. Exactly. And and as you're looking at um, moving forward, it just opens more doors, more opportunities, and a stronger force in many ways, because men and women contribute equally, but they also contribute somewhat differently, as you've already pointed out, Kayla, in your communication capabilities. And the world is made up of men and women in our country, as well as in the countries that we are aiding, supporting, and even fighting. That's right. Well, we're going, to quick t- we're going to take a really quick, short break. You know, Linda, as I noticed, there's a lot, of, a lot of sites out there that are rebroadcasting our show. And, of course, you can go through downloading an app. You can sign up for iTunes. Uh, there's many ways to get the program. But what you have to remember is to go to the AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our last event, which was November 9th for Veterans Day, with videos of our Brad's Air concert and also info about the next guest and site updates. Once again, that's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda and our guests, Kayla, Ellen, and Lindsay. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes Network.com and syndicated on iTunes. 
those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with our guests, Kayla, Ellen, and Lindsay. And Linda, you had a question about challenges. Well, I think that we've established that we are seeing a paradigm shift take place with women getting greater opportunities and greater roles. I, I think we would be missing a, a point that a lot of naysayers would add in talking about the fact that there are some unique challenges to men and women that manifest themselves in some very difficult ways. Um, one of those ways being um, power struggles and, and rapes, assaults, what we call military sexual trauma. And I know that um, Lindsay is going to be talking about some of those challenges today. So, Lindsay, can we go right to that topic, oh. please? Definitely. Um, so certainly, if you've paid attention to any of the reports that have come out uh, earlier this year that were based on the um, Sexual Assault and Prevention Office report from the Department of Defense, uh, for 2012, there was a 37% increase in the number of reported rapes and assaults. And those are actually serious offenses. That's not harassment. That's not he said, she said. Those are serious offenses. They're aggravated assaults. They're unwanted sexual contact so this constitutes a real problem for uh, for the Department of Defense and for the branches of the military. Uh, and when you talk about um, integrating women further into uh, these units that haven't haven't had women in the past, um, definitely people are concerned about any increased instances of rape and assault in the military against women. Uh, I have a differing opinion, which is that if we look at this as a gender equality issue and we continue to integrate women and support their success in the military, we will see those rates go down as long as that is coupled with very harsh policies uh, that do not tolerate sexual assault and rape in the military whatsoever. And that is something, Lindsay, that General Dempsey might agree with you on. He's argued that the, the military policy banning women from combat jobs and units contributed to a climate that tacitly tolerated sexual harassment and assault of women, and that increasing women's access to those roles will drive rates down in the long run. And I personally agree with that opinion. Um, I do think that uh, by letting people know that, th- that women are excluded from certain jobs in the military, it sends a subconscious message to the U.S. troops that we are not all equal. We're not all uh, of the same caliber and quality of soldier, sailor, airman, and marine. And so until you do integrate women and actually do give them the greater opportunities, um, I think you continue to send that, con- that subconscious message, which definitely perpetuates violence against women. I agree. Well, and I do want to make clear that Lindsay and I both are, are very conscious of the fact that this is not a problem that is exclusive to women, uh, but no. it is one that disproportionately affects women. Sadly, uh, men are also um, survivors of sexual assault in the military. Yes. 
Absolutely. We actually had one on our program who is speaking out because it is not spoken about much at all. I, I think one of the things that people are very um, fuzzy on, is the word I'll use, is that sexual trauma it does not end with your service. And we see so many female veterans and male veterans who are very troubled afterward. There are so many misconceptions about, okay, put that behind you, etc. What are some of these misconceptions in the popular press about military rape and assault? Uh, I think some of the ones that I've seen quite a bit of are that the number of men reporting assaults can't be right, although the DOD rates and the VA rates are actually very similar, which I think makes the DOD numbers uh, have added credibility. And a lot of people, especially within the military, believe that there are large numbers of false reports. That is, in surveys of Marines, about uh, their thoughts on opening more roles to women, the number one concern that they reported was that they would be the victim of a false report of sexual assault or, or harassment. And that sense that false reports rather than lack of reports is a bigger problem is one that I think is a, a really serious concern for me. And another one is that um, the, this thought that this is a problem of society, not the military, and so we really don't need to worry about it. My biggest com- uh, concern about this is that if you look at the rates of other serious violent crimes in the military, uh, regular battery or murder, the rates are just the tiny fraction of the rates in the civilian world. So if the rates are the same for sexual violence, that means something is seriously wrong, that the rates haven't been driven down as much in the military as they have for other types of crimes. Lindsay? Uh, And certainly um, what we found in dealing with uh, and serving veterans um, once they're out of the military is that um, survivors of trauma related to rape or sexual assault have added challenges that actually constitute a barrier for them to even receiving benefits that they've earned. So that means that these individuals are at greater risk for homelessness, greater risk for mental health disorders, um, and certainly as women and uh, the men that have children as well, uh, when they do have uh, children that they're, that they're trying to care for that are minor children um, living with them, they often are kind of passing along some of these unfortunate uh, life situations to those children if they do, in fact, find themselves homeless. Um, So it's becoming an intergenerational problem. And so um, it it is a little bit different in the civilian context, especially because VA studies have found that uh, rape and sexual assault and the trauma associated with it when it occurs in the military can actually be more traumatizing than when it happens um, in the civilian sector or uh, even more traumatizing than um, PTSD related to combat which is extremely unfortunate because both of those are such serious and egregious situations. Um, so certainly this is, a, this is an issue that you can't necessarily directly compare with civilian society and the, um, uh, also because of the nature of the military uh, being betrayed by another service member and then perhaps not having a command believe you and even retaliating against you. All of that constitutes a special set of circumstances that make this particularly traumatic for the person while they're in the military and then after they get out. That is a recurring theme in many of the female veterans that I've spoken with who do indeed have PTSD, but it is MST rooted and they maybe did not report it at the time. And it is very difficult, as you know, through the VA system to go back and and get 
ratings and things for earlier uh, transgressions. And it, it makes it very difficult. How would you address, um, obviously, more reporting would be good, but right. as you said, if your CO doesn't believe you, if you have to continue to serve in that unit, uh, if it happened in a pre-deploy situation and they send you on anyway, these are all real-life stories that I have heard and, and spoken mm-hmm. with the women involved. And so there are some challenges in the hierarchy of the military, and that adds a special layer of challenge, correct? That's true, Linda, and and I can't necessarily comment on whether those challenges are going to be um, effectively changed or improved anytime soon because we don't know what will happen with uh, um, uh, Senator Gillibrand's legislation, for instance, or any um, any other proposed legislation that's going to address this issue. But certainly, uh, victims of sexual assault in the military should uh, should remember that they can seek services through the victims' advocates' offices. That they can go to civilian rape crisis centers to seek services as well. And anybody that served uh, in the military has the option to go to the Veterans Affairs Administration to their healthcare facilities to seek treatment for this. Um, they don't have to um, have have uh, specific criteria of service in order to seek that treatment or to receive that treatment. So there are options out there for men and women to seek the mental health care that they need uh, because of this trauma. Um, but of course, uh, if we can if we can get to a point where we're actually prosecuting um, these criminals that are raping individuals in the military and assaulting them, uh, then that would be ideal for everybody because we don't want this to continue. It does not send a good a message to our service members. There are also a couple of recent changes that are worth noting, um, relatively recent. One is that within the military, people can now choose to file a restricted report as opposed to an unrestricted report. Uh, that means that the, the offender will not be prosecuted, but the survivor can seek services and uh, there will be some sort of record of what happened. So that's an avenue that people who are currently serving and have experienced this can explore. And then once people have reached the VA system, and if they are filing a disability claim, as, as Lindsay mentioned, you can get free care, um, physical or mental health care for any, any conditions related to MST uh, for free. But if you're seeking disability compensation, there have been some changes to the VA regulations. There is now there are now special um, disability claims raters who have additional training, and they are supposed to follow these new rules and guidelines in terms of seeking um, indicators if there's nothing documented, if there's no police record, looking at other things, um, requesting a transfer of unit, sudden changes in how well somebody's doing on performance reviews at the time of the, um, of the incident, and things like that. So people who maybe filed once before before these changes went through, can refile and say, hey, take another look now that these new rules are in place and, and see if um, under the new regulations there is enough evidence for uh, a disability compensation claim. Yeah, I would just encourage anybody that wants to file a claim for that to, unfortunately, they do have to go through a process of, um, uh, of to some extent, relaying their story again, which, which mm-hmm. is a hard thing to do for victims. However, they can write that down. They can put it in writing. They don't necessarily have to relay it verbally or in person to somebody. But definitely having any markers that they have is really important. If they can um, provide um, information that relates to 
the incident, um, then that's going to help those VA raiders actually find those markers in their records, thereby awarding them the claim. Uh, but that remains a challenge for sure. All right. Do you have a website that uh, our listeners can go to? Um, My sure. website is kaylamoreenwilliams.com, and uh, I have uh, blogs up there and links to my uh, book if you want to buy that and, and some other things. All right. All right. Another website? Uh, yeah. So uh, our website at the California Department of Veterans Affairs that does have information for women veterans is calvet.ca.gov, and you can select the Women Veterans tab find information about the California survey that we do every two years, which is open right now for women to take. And I encourage women to take it if they're from California. Um, And then we also have resources and information and direct contact information if people are seeking services. All right. We're going to take another short break. My name is Gary Ray, along with my co-host Linda and our guest Kayla, Ellen, and Lindsay. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel. And we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier. Or smarter, as the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back. We're here with our guests, Kayla, Ellen, and Lindsay. And Ellen, go ahead with your website. Sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we have a website called the Combat Integration Initiative, which is housed on the Women in International Security website. Um, Women in International Security and the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute actually partnered to sponsor our efforts to oversee the uh, to provide kind of an oversight of the combat integration as it moves forward here in the, in the next, um, well, now it's only about two and a half years. And, Ellen, did you have um, something you wanted to add about uh, military sexual assault that we didn't get to in our last segment? Well, I... So much of what I've heard about the discussion with military sexual assault is about sort of... Um, Oh, anecdotes to the problem. Anecdotes being, how do we treat um, victims? How do we fix our sexual assault? Um, the UCMJ to, to better address sexual assault. But my concern is that we aren't really getting, we're treating people after they've been assaulted. We haven't really get, gotten to the core of the problem, which is how do we change our culture so that sexual assault is, isn't occurring and it's not even, it's a completely unacceptable behavior within the military. So I'm kind of interested in your perspectives on that. Yeah, I think it's a really important question, one that all of the services are struggling with really profoundly. Um, I happen to agree with, with Lindsay and General Dempsey, as I said before, that when it comes at least to the um, the rates of sexual violence against women, that in the long run, eliminating the combat exclusion policy will drive those rates down, though there could be a, a spike in the short term. But... Um, but in terms of the overall problem, I think one thing that, that will be an important part of tackling the problem is to tackle binge drinking, that in situations with, with a lot of drunkenness, it is a more challenging environment for everyone and a more dangerous environment for everyone. And so I think that, that that's one piece that we need to try to tackle uh, is, is to, to work on fighting binge drinking. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the military uh, takes in young, often uh, recruits young enlisted people. Like, you know, when I uh, enlisted in the Navy, I was all of uh, barely 18. And, and to take someone that young and have to kind of um, build them into uh, a person uh, that has uh, military core values and things like that is not always an easy task. And I think that uh, two things are that um, the military does have to go through some sort of behavior mod modification and really education of its troops so they understand proper relationships between men and women, between men and men and women and women. Um, but it also means that uh, we need very strong deterrence to keep criminals who, who are constituting uh, the majority of these uh, repeat rape cases out of the military. So, um, so it's, it's not only this behavior modification or maybe, maybe you could say an education of the troops, a serious education of the troops about correct um, interpersonal relationships, but it's also um, finding a way to create a stronger deterrent um, to ensure that individuals that, that are committing violent crimes are not continuing to come into the military. So yeah, and I, I totally agree, and I think that prosecution is an important part of it. And I want to just be very clear that uh, I think that the binge drinking environment creates an environment where predators can take advantage right. of that environment. I'm not saying that this is, you know, no, any way the victim's fault. It is. It is. It gives. It gives criminals who know what they're doing 
uh, an opportunity opportunity. to take advantage of that situation. And uh, I also think one of the things that as a parent that I think about is how I can not only raise both of my children to not commit these acts, but to speak up if they see a dangerous situation. To, to encourage bystander intervention. When you looked at outside of the military, say the Steubenville case of, of high school students, it's, uh, you know, how do you get, how do we get our, our young troops and our children to feel comfortable being really firm about saying this is not okay, this is not acceptable behavior? That's a good point. And I'd like to add, this is Ellen, I'd like to add that I, one of the other, I think, um, ways to solve this problem or to change the culture is to increase the number of women who are in the military. Um, one of the things I've heard often said here recently is, oh, I'd never let my my daughter serve in the military right. today. But I, that's not the answer. Um, and I've been in 30 years now, almost 30 years. I'll retire next summer. And I actually have a daughter who's a lieutenant in the Army today. And I encouraged my daughter to serve The military is a great place to serve, and while this is a very negative aspect that's happened to, unfortunately, a larger percentage of the women than we'd like to see happen, most of military service is not, um, it's very positive. It's it's an extremely um, empowering place to to work and to, to live. So I'd love to encourage more women to come in and increase the percentages of, of women that are serving in the military because I think that will do more to eliminating this problem than changing our justice system um, and providing, while I think that change is necessary, I think that eliminating the problem early on by increasing the number of women and changing the culture is the best solution to this problem. I totally, I totally agree with yeah. Ellen on this. I was very, very disappointed when I heard Senator McCain say that because of this scourge, he no longer feels comfortable giving his unqualified support to women choosing to, to join the military. And, um, you know, sadly, the rates are similar on college campuses. So if you yes. would send your, your daughter to college, then right. I'd say send her to the military if that's what she genuinely wants to do. Uh, I am incredibly proud of my military service and my time in the military taught me a number of skills that have, have helped me significantly in the civilian world, such as how to present myself effectively, control my emotions, prioritize, plan, be decisive, maintain perspective, and know the depths of my own strengths. Military was a fantastic opportunity for me and I believe that it will be, it is as well for other women. I, I completely agree with both of you, Kayla and, uh, and Ellen. And actually, when I um, when I talk to women that that have experienced trauma uh, related to rape or assault in the military, they're still extremely proud. Uh, the majority of them of their military service and would have con- would have really seen themselves continuing to serve proudly and accomplishing so much more had it not been for. Uh, for what had happened to them. So I think that uh, we do need to see more women in the military. It, it really would go a long way to, to, to solving this. Well, we only have... I'm I was sorry, just going to say, we only have about a minute left, and I'd like to thank uh, Kayla, Ellen, and Lindsay. Uh, and we'd like to have you back on the show in the very near future. How's that sound? It sounds great. great. That'd be wonderful. Right. Thank you so much for having us all and spending an entire episode devoted to talking about women in the military. Oh, thank definitely. you. Thank you. And Linda, you have any closing remarks? Well, I think after listening to you three and certainly talking with many <laughs> other women veterans, I believe that there is often more opportunity within the armed services to succeed and learn and gain and be empowered than there is in the private sector at this point. So thank you for sharing your experiences. Um, 
and thank you for serving. Yes, definitely. Thank you. If you you. miss the live, you're welcome. And if you miss the live show, be sure to go right to our website, the American Heroes Network. It's on demand. And again, American Heroes Network spotlights and promotes the latest available information that interests America's veterans and their families anytime, anywhere, and on any device. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda Crater, signing off. And thanks for listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America, on the Variety Channel. Have a great week. Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host Linda Crater and other prestigious co-hosts again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are America and we truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation thanks to you Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 